This week on the show, we have the FreeBSD status report for the second quarter of 2023 for you. Clara Systems recommended summer reading from their own blog posts and articles. Very much worth checking out. Uh, how to to install Canboard on OpenBSD. A bit of Unix history on the su-dash command. Hints for splitting commits from Warnalosh. Live from OpenBSD in Amsterdam. And more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 521, BSD Summer Reading, recorded on the last day of July 2023, which is the 31st. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow, find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Heuschling. And I'm Jason Tupner. Welcome. I hope uh, you have a nice summer, whatever summer is for you, uh, warm or a bit uh, colder. This week is very rainy here, so that's a welcome change of uh, <laughs> heat uh, change, exchange, whatever. Uh, we have headlines for you, and this is the news from the FreeBSD status report second quarter of 2023. A lot of people have submitted their reports, what they did or what they are still working on, and we should definitely take a look. So uh, Lorenzo Salvadore uh, wrote the introductory piece, uh, short, but nevertheless uh, worth reading. goes like this. As you might notice, we have several more reports than last quarter, which is some kind of improvement, right? This is uh, great news and shows how much the FreeBSD community is active and always working on providing high-quality software. That's certainly true. In particular, please note that summer has started and do not miss the amazing projects shared by our Google Summer of Code students. Have a nice read. Okay, so there is the table of contents, which is big, so we not, will not cover everything in full detail, but of course, you can find the link in our show notes. And uh, high-level are the team reports. Then we have projects, uh, user land bits that have changed or were updated. Then there's uh, the kernel piece with a couple of entries. Then we have architectures, cloud documentation, uh, ports, and third-party projects. So let's dive into uh, some of the team reports. There's one from the core team, uh, which reports about the uh, Dev Summit in 2023 in May, which was held at BSDCAN. So you can find some information from the FreeBSD Wiki, what has been discussed there and what kind of sessions there were. Then uh, there's a FreeBSD 14 item where the core team is working with other teams to ensure that FreeBSD 14 will be of the highest quality, as we expect. And um, the core team also has no objection to mark risk uh, 564SF, which is a soft float for RISC-V as unsupported in 14. So that's still under uh, development, so we cannot support that in 14, but I think this will be something that we will do in the future. So just making sure that uh, you're not uh, disappointed when you try out FreeBSD 14 on such an architecture. Uh, then we had some meetings with the FreeBSD Foundation, and um, we continue to meet with them regularly to discuss some steps that both are, uh, you know, have their, you know, interest in. 
and where we could help each other. And uh, two such meetings were held uh, with the board of directors and employees of the foundation and discussed uh, how we can help each other, as mentioned, and how to move the project forward uh, where we both need something from the other. Then we have the Matrix instant messaging solution uh, communicated. There's currently a testing instance running at matrix-devfreebsd.org. Uh, uh, all developers can access that instance. So um, once that seems to be working well and have shaked out some of the flaws, then we will probably make this official uh, for all developers. And then um, this is the project communication infrastructure we're going to use from then on. As, at least that's the plan. Um, the Code of Conduct Committee is now managed by the core team. Uh, that has been discussed for a while now, and this is making it official. And we also approved uh, the source bits for Christos Margiolis. Welcome to the team. And um, yeah, that's the core team report. Uh, then there is the FreeBSD Foundation piece. Uh, they are celebrating FreeBSD's 30th birthday, of course, uh, because for more than 23 years, they say, we have proudly backed this remarkable operating system and its vibrant community, and they eagerly anticipate supporting them for many, many more years. And in this update, they will outline some of the contributions to FreeBSD across multiple domains and what kind of project developments initiatives they were doing, some of which have detailed reports of their own. And, you know, of course, uh, the expansion of partnerships and foster community engagement and other things they are currently involved with. So they have a big piece about fundraising, of course, because that's the foundation uh, collecting the money that goes into a project supporting the FreeBSD project. And um, they thank, of course, all the uh, contributors who gave money to the FreeBSD foundation to support the work. Uh, besides Many individual contributions, they say they are pleased to receive larger donations from NetApp and BlackBerry. And also the FreeBSD Developer Summit uh, mentioned earlier, they were sponsored by Tarsnap, IX Systems and LPI. And these greatly assist in offsetting their own expenses and enable them to uh, offer affordable registration fees for attendees, for example. So that's uh, going into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting here that um, they've got the uh, budget for uh, two point two three million, uh, which includes the uh, increased spending towards the FreeBSD FreeBSD advocacy and software development. Uh, so more of more than half of the budget is allocated towards uh, work directly related to improving the FreeBSD and keeping it um, secure. So uh, yeah, that's uh, quite a significant amount of money um, pump, being pumped back into the project. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have something about their partnership program. They uh, have someone in the foundation uh, board of directors for that, Greg Wallace, uh, who is director of partnerships and research. Uh, they, he started in early April and they have a, a separate blog post introducing him and his role for the partnerships. They are focusing on building connections with companies that use FreeBSD. And uh, if people want to get involved or want to make their voice heard as a company, uh, then they should reach out and uh, contact the foundation with, via various means so that they um, can get a feel for what companies need in the operating system and what kind of areas they want the project to uh, focus their efforts. And they also have uh, listed some OS improvements, uh, separate items uh, for that. Uh, I just read the highlights here. The continuous integration, FreeBSD ST1 cloud init platform, OpenSSL3 and base. 
Then there's OpenStack on FreeBSD, which is going to go well as far as I can tell. Security sandboxing using Ktrace and SIMD enhancements for AMD64. They also list a bunch of things the foundation uh, has sponsored directly. Uh, a couple bug fixes for FSCK fast file system, bug fixes for KillPG, improvements to HWPMC, uh, VMM improvements, number of port fixes for LLVM16 and OpenSSL 3.0, uh, RISC-V and related D-trace work, and others. So there's definitely more to read in that whole big uh, section about the foundation. Of course, they have made advocacy again, now that this is uh, possible, uh, post-pandemic, and they've been to a bunch of places and conferences and showed uh, up as the FreeBSD Foundation and waving the BSD flag. Uh, the FreeBSD release engineering team has also got a report in this quarterly report. It talks about 13.2 cycle and how it uh, closely followed the set schedule um, with uh, three additional RC builds. Uh, those RC builds were just polish to make sure that uh, there was no issues when 30 point two rolled out the door. So it uh, was announced back in April. Uh, 14.0 has been pushed back. Uh, it's scheduled now for October 2023. So keep an eye on the alpha releases that will be coming out for that shortly. Um, there was some OpenSSL, and we'll talk about OpenSSL a bit further down, uh, but it was about uh, putting, making sure OpenSSL uh, version 3 was uh, in part of base ready for that release so uh, it wasn't going because these these operating systems are out for for a full uh, five years so want to make sure that uh, the supported life cycle of the underlying programs like OpenSSL are going to be able to be easily supported through that period so yeah that's an interesting update there from the release engineering team mm -hmm. Then there's the cluster administration team. They got a donation for some Juniper switches from Juniper. So thanks for that. And they arrived at their primary site to replace former ones. And that will uh, hopefully make the system uh, just as nicely running as before. So that's a network upgrade at the primary site. Then they have replaced some old servers in their primary and a few mirrors. They also installed a new CI uh, machine repurposing the package builders and review the backup configuration of the services running in the FreeBSD cluster. So they also list the hardware network connections that have been generously provided. A bunch of people make that possible so that we have uh, worldwide mirrors actually to get uh, packages and the release itself. And so that's a good way of get, finding the companies that support FreeBSD in that way. Yeah, the um those mirrors um, those mirrors listed. Um, it's it's a benefit for everybody worldwide. Uh, I know uh, down here in Australia, uh, we were lacking mirror for quite some time, and uh, the Internet Association of Australia uh, put their hand up and uh, have given basically uh, a full gig uh, through to um, everybody in Australia now. So we've got low latency feeds. So um, yeah, where the cluster team and the and the uh, foundation and correspondence with um, the different, uh, you know, the different consortiums around the world that host these servers. It's much appreciated by end users. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, so that you don't have to wait long to get your downloads and packages. Uh, 
Continuous integration is also listed there. They uh, completed some important tasks like uh, the FreeBSD Stable 13 AMD64 GCC12 build job has been added. They also uh, did build improvements of main and Stable 13 branches as well as uh, present testing and CI status update in the 2023 developer updates for BSDCAN or at BSDCAN. They list a couple of work in progress tasks. So these are uh, a couple of reviews mentioned and also um, some you know, CI infrastructure work, environment uh, setting up and experimental jobs running. So if you're interested in those, dig in those individual items. And they also list a couple of open or queue tasks that will follow after those when there is uh, time available. So that is also uh, coming up. Uh, the ports collection uh, had some updates and some significant updates. Uh, are, um, the package was updated to 1.19.2. A few people might have seen uh, 1.20 be released, but uh, for the report, it's uh, 1.19.2 as of the report date. Firefox was uplifted to 114.0.2. Chromium was lifted to 114.0.5735.198. KDE Gear was uplifted to 23.04.2. Uh, and during this quarter, Antine uh, ran 23XP runs to test package updates, uh, bumped the CPU max size to 1024, uh, fixed ARMv7 failures for DevL uh, CMake Core and add the uh, auto features enabled to users equals MISON. And lastly, the ports tree was updated to support LLVM 16 and OpenSSL 3 in FreeBSD current. Then we have individual uh, projects. Uh, just uh, briefly go over them. Zero CI, this is the hosted continuous integration service that supports open source project with the I services. And those configs received some ongoing maintenance updates. The source tree, they have added some additional checks for those. And they ensure that generating files are updated when needed. And so like check for missing directories and things like that. Uh, in a similar vein, they added uh, jobs that build using the Clang LLVM 16 toolchain package. So all of that nicely integrates in the whole uh, updated when there's a new uh, compiler version out. And GCC job is now running on the GitHub mirror by default for all commits. Um, as announced um, earlier in this uh, report, uh, OpenSSL v3 is in base now. Pierre has been tasked with importing OpenSSL 3 into base. OpenSSL is a library for general purpose cryptography and secure communications. It provides an open source implementation of the SSL and TLS network protocols which are widely used in the applications such as email, instant messaging, VoIP, or more prominently, the global web, aka HTTPS. Assuming that the Apache and Nginx web servers use OpenSSL, their combined market share for web traffic exceeds 50%, cementing the leadership and critical importance of OpenSSL as part of the infrastructure of the internet. Uh, it goes further through... To describe OpenSSL 3 as a major release is an understatement. First, its problematic licensing model has finally been solved with a complete switch to the Apache 2 license. Then OpenSSL 3 introduces the concept of provider modules. While obsolete cryptographical algorithms have been isolated to a legacy module, it is also possible to restrict the implementation to the standards part of FIPS with the FIPS module. The latter can be 
then be benefit from a dedicated certification process and be validated officially like the 3.0.8 release at the time of writing of this article. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Then we have some uh, interesting things in the jail department, which are service jails, and these uh, extend the RC system to allow automatic jailing of rc.d services and such a service jail inherits the file system of the parent host or a jail but uses all other limits of the jail so for example uh, if you want to put the local unbound into a service jail and allow ipv6 and uh, v4 access you need to make only two changes to rcconf in this case local unbound svcj which is service jail underscore options equals net underscore basic and then local under unbound svcj equals yes so this may not have the same security benefits of a manual jail setup with separate file system and ip and vnet but it's much easier to set up while providing some of the security benefits of a jail like hiding other processes of the same user so that's cool uh yeah bunch of things um definitely check out those items marked as google summer of code uh 2023 sponsored so for example physical memory compaction for the freebsd kernel a ci test harness for the bootloader or for example the squash fs port for freebsd so many of those and others i don't uh, list all of them uh these are some of the things that are still going on, and we may see those as uh, features sooner or later when the students have finished those projects and likely will continue finishing or working on these projects once Google Summer of Code is uh, officially done. And so that's one way of getting new contributors, new committers even, and also new features. Yeah, the report this quarter is uh, quite extensive. So um, if you've got some time uh, between work or on the public transport, uh, go and have a read of that report. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening there. Um, what you see on mailing lists is clearly just the top of the iceberg. There's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So thanks for the people who send in their reports to update people what uh, they're working on and maybe ask for some testing and help and also the people who put together the report in the first place. Moving on to another Clara Systems article. Uh, so as the Northern Hemisphere is enjoying summer and summer-related breaks, um, down here, down under, it is uh, winter, but uh, after last weekend, it doesn't feel like winter. But any <laughs> anyway, um, the Clara team have uh, put uh, together their 2023 recommended summer reads uh, for FreeBSD and Linux. We previously discussed in our webinar the case for OS diversity and independence, the great deal of value, security, and flexibility to be gained from using a diversity of operating systems. To help make implementations such as such diversity possible, Clara has produced a set of articles that discuss the differences between Linux and FreeBSD across various subsystems. These articles aim to act as a sort of a Rosetta Stone, helping experienced administrators and developers turn their skills with one of the operating systems into knowledge of the other. With summer upon us, now is a great time to read through the series and learn how you can take maximum advantage of OS diversity. Selecting an operating system. Before we start digging into technical differences between FreeBSD and Linux, we should first look at how they differ in the ways the projects are organized and how the code is licensed. Understanding these differences is key to extracting the most value out of 
the diversity using a mix of operating systems can provide. Number one, why you should use BSD licensing for your next open source project or product, the power of BSD license. Open source licensing is an integral part of any free software project. Understanding the limitations of each type of licensing is as much legal work as it is in art. In this article, we talk about the reduced risks inherent in the BSD licensing model and why you should consider it going forwards. Read two, three advantages of running FreeBSD. As the motto, the power to serve indicates, FreeBSD is specifically designed to excel as a server operating system. Today, we're going to go over three of the most compelling advantages in that role through OpenZFS integration, easy to leverage infrastructure for custom packaging and advanced fleet management capabilities. And read three, the role of operating systems in IoT. Number of Internet of Things device in both our homes and in the world around us has exploded in the last few years. Smart IoT devices can now replace everything from the humble light switch all the way to smart lawnmowers. All of these devices are driven by an operating system of some sort. What operating systems are available and what do you need to consider when selecting an OS for a new product? Making the switch. Once you're ready to take the plunge and start adding a mix of operating systems to your infrastructure, the next question becomes how to do it most efficiently. Being able to quickly adapt existing understanding and skill sets to the analogist operation of another operating system ensures a quick return on investment in training while simultaneously gaining the value from deploying a diverse set of tools. Migrating from Linux to FreeBSD. With a common Unix heritage, Linux and FreeBSD have much in common. By knowing their idiosyncrasies, it becomes easier to adapt when moving between the two systems. Take a tour of some of the differences that are notable when migrating to FreeBSD. Along the way, we'll give you insights into the background and show some useful tricks. Read five, key differences between FreeBSD and Linux networking. The question isn't as much, should I choose FreeBSD or Linux? The question should be, how can I best take advantage of both? In the comparison article, we go over the two implementations of the network stack and look at the implementations and how they differ and how to translate common tasks between the two operating systems. Read six, observability, comparing, profiling and tracing. When troubleshooting a Linux or FreeBSD system, you need to be able to probe the system to find answers as to why it is behaving in a particular way. In this article, we provide an overview of some of the basic tools and introduce the FreeBSD equivalent of common Linux tracing and troubleshooting tools. Reaping the benefits. Read seven. Virtualization comparing FreeBSD Beehive to Linux KVM. FreeBSD's Beehive hypervisor makes it easy to run reliable, high-performance virtual machines on a FreeBSD host system. In this article, we test the performance of virtual machines running Windows, Linux, and FreeBSD under Beehive, comparing and contrasting the performance of the same virtual machine running under Linux, well-known KVM hypervisor. Understanding the pros and cons of each hypervisor helps you make confident, informed decisions when adding diversity to your infrastructure. 
If you're not familiar with Beehive, you may also find this article useful. And it's got uh, from zero to Beehive on FreeBSD. Managing boot environments, read eight. A ZFS environment called BE, boot environments, is a bootable clone of data sets needed to boot the operating system. Creating a BE before performing an upgrade provides a low cost safeguard. If there is a problem with the update, the system can be rebooted back to the point in time of the upgrade. This article demonstrates how to use the BE CTL utility to manage BEs and provide examples on how to update packages, apply security patches and upgrade the operating system using BEs. Wrapping up, we have made our case for implementing a diversity of operating systems in order to maximize the advantage and reduce the drawbacks of each while minimizing the impact of bugs and security vulnerabilities. With this block of summer reading, you are now equipped with the knowledge of how to perform operations on both operating systems and concrete examples of advantages that are only available through deploying diversity. As you begin to plan and deploy a diverse infrastructure, consider expanding your team's capabilities with a Clara support description to ensure you always have the access to expert advice and practical experience to maintain and grow your infrastructure. Yep, all good stuff. Uh, definitely dig into those articles if you haven't read them yeah, yet. Yeah, there's some, there's some really uh, good articles there. Um, some of them are quite long. Uh, so uh, yeah, dig into it and... Uh, uh, have a crack over the summer break. Okay, then in our news roundup, we have a how-to by ever-busy Celine writing about how to install Canboard on OpenBSD this time. And so she starts in the introduction with, let me share an installation guide on OpenBSD for a product I like, Canboard. It's a Kanban board written in PHP. It's easy to use, light, effective, the kind of software she likes. So I use Kanban uh, or the Kanban board as well, and I've used it in a student project, and it really is very easy to use and get into and also learn a bit about how Kanban should be done and how the whole process works. So back to Celine. While there is a Docker image for easy deployment on Linux, there is no guide to install it on OpenBSD. I did it successfully, including HTTPD for the web server. Okay, the setup goes uh, like this. We will need the fairly simple stack, HTTPD for the web server. She won't explain how to do TLS here, but that can be done separately. PHP 8.2 is needed, or is what she used, and the database backed by SQLite. If you need Postgres or MySQL, you need to adapt that. Yeah, so by default, everything in the board is stored in SQLite, and uh, if you go bigger and have a you know much more items on the board like uh, icons or even files on there, then we recommend uh, that you use a database or proper database like Postgres or MySQL. Uh, then she lists the Canboard files. Prepare a directory where Canboard will be extracted. It must be owned by root. So instead of doing you know make dear and change mod and change own, she all does it nicely with one uh, install command: install dash d dash o root dash g wheel dash m755 and then var http docs can board so all in one without having three separate commands uh, next to each other so she downloaded the latest version of can board preferring the targz file because it won't require an extra program 
And then she extracted that archive, of course, and moved the extracted content to the directory I just mentioned, var wwhdocs canboard. And the file uh, canboard slash CLI should exist if you did it correctly. And now you need to fix the permissions for a single directory, she writes, inside the project to allow the web server to write persistent data. Ah, yeah, otherwise uh, you can not do much. Mm -hmm. She also shows in each of these uh, which commands you need to run. Then next up is the PHP configuration. For Canboard, we need PHP and we'll uh, have to provide a few extensions. They can be installed and enabled using the following command. So in this case, 8.2, maybe by the time you read this in the future, be already deprecated, but you can uh, put in the current PHP version and that should work just fine. So they need PHP zip and just that. No, PHP PDO SQLite. And then uh, the opcache should also be there. I guess that comes with the distro. GD, zip, and curl. And she nicely does this in a for loop and symlinks those to the actual ini files. And then enables php 8.2 fpm and uh, starts that using rcctl. Next uh, is the HTTPD configuration to first use PHP and also um, set the document root to the uh, hdocs for Canboard. Okay, so that FastGGI knows about PHP, which socket, and which port to listen on, and things like that. So that is provided all in the blog post. Then she, of course, also enables HTTPD and starts it afterwards. Next is, um, yeah, by that time you should now be able to uh, see the Canboard and use it. You can reach it on the web and the URL you configured. And the default credentials are admin slash admin. You need to change those if you want to keep your board around for many, many uh, moons. Then next she has a separate section about sending emails. If you want to send emails, you have three choices. Use PHP's mail, which uses just the local relay. Use send mail command, which will also use the local one. And, uh, or you configure the SMTP server with authentication and can be a remote server. So for local, she lists each of those. Uh, the local email uses uh, OpenBSD's SMTPD, I guess. Uh, yeah, at least uh, she shows the configuration for it. And whatever mail server you use, it's just hooking into those, uh, you know, configured uh, variables. Uh, she also lists a cron job configuration. So the cron job for Canboard basically figures out, ah, do I need to send notifications to users or do I need to update some graphs and statistics? And that's uh, regularly done. So a cron job is the perfect uh, way to do that. And she describes how to use that. It's just running a PHP program uh, in the Canboard directory to update that. She concludes with, Canboard is the fine piece of software. I really like the Kanban workflow to organize. I hope you'll enjoy it as well. I'd also add that installing software without Docker is still a thing. Yep, this requires you to know exactly what you need to make it run and how to configure it. Uh, yeah, you could also put it into a jail, right, to have it separately and uh, nicely isolated from the rest. Uh, she'd rather consider this a security bonus point. Yep, I think that it will also have it have all its dependencies updated along with your system upgrades over time. Yeah, great. Is that uh, similar to your configuration? Obviously, you've done it on FreeBSD. Um, yeah, very similar. So um, besides, uh, I use Nginx instead of HTTPD, but that is simple enough to uh, switch around. 
and the rest of the installation is fairly fairly similar cool moving over to uh chris cyberman's uh log uh we've got a bit of a history lesson here today uh a bit of unix history on su dash or also known as su minus i suppose it depends on where where you are in the world how you uh, I read it as SU minus, but uh, uh, SU dash, I think, is uh, most commonly known. Uh, these days, modern versions of SU interpret SU minus, or SU dash, as SU dash L. Although they have different implementations of SU, this is true on Linux, FreeBSD, and OpenBSD. However, it turns out that this feature wasn't always in Unix's SU. The V7 SU is quite minimal. There's no equivalent of dash or dash L. In fact, v7su takes no options at all. It treats its first argument as the username to su2 and ignores all other arguments to just run the shell, uh, passing nominal program name of su. Su became rather more complex in system three where it gained both su dash and the ability to use additional argument which were passed to bin, bin sh as command line arguments. SU also got other changes such as logging. Based on reading the system three code for SUC, as in the C source code, I believe that you could use both SU dash and SU login args together with the same meaning that SU dash login args would reset $home and chudder to the target's login home directory set UID to them and then run slash bin slash sh args. Unfortunately, I can't find the system three man pages, so I can't see what the documented use for SU usage was. SU in 4.2 BSD has a more complicated story. The 4.2 BSD SU manual page claims that the same minimal usage as V7 SU. However, the 4.2 BSD SU.C code shows that it's actually had more, much more elaborate usage. SU supported both dash and dash F, as well as command line arguments for the invoked shell. The dash F option passed dash F as the first argument to the shell, according to the 4.2 BSD CSH manual page. This caused it to skip reading .CSHRC. Unlike system three SU, the 4.2 BSD SU always use the target's login shell, even when passing arguments to it. This matters when the target has a restricted shell. As with system three, you could combine dash and additional arguments, such as SU dash login arg and your arguments. In 4.3 BSD, the SU manual page actually documents all of this. The BSD SU didn't change again until the 1990s 4.3 BSD Reno, where it added Kerberos functionality and dash L and dash M options based on the SU manual page that we have. Based on the NetBSD SU manual page, NetBSD SU may be the closest to this ancestral BSD version of SU, since NetBSD had retained the dash K argument related to Kerberos. I suspect that the various Linux implementations of SU, which may have come from at least the shadow package and util Linux, have had the dash L option for a long time, but I lack the energy to trash the various packages back through history. The Linux SUs have had additional options for a long time, although some sense 
2006 is probably the recent as far as Linux SU features are concerned. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that yeah. little piece of code that we just sort of take for granted, it's, uh, it's got a yeah, everyone uses it. Yeah, just do sudo minus uh, dash and just switch to that user. And yeah, it's just not been there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on to uh, Warner's random hacking block uh, for some hints on splitting commits. So probably based on some recent activity of his, he wrote this article, or his blog post here, and uh, goes like the following. Sometimes in a code review, the commentators suggest that commits be broken up into smaller pieces. Here are a few of the collected tricks I've learned over the years. They are presented as editing the current tip of the tree for simplicity. However, you can apply them to rebasing as well using the edit action. The last section offers a strategy when you need to recombine the commits. Okay, so splitting it up. Sometimes you have a commit that you need to split up. This section will show you how to do that. Briefly, you will reset the head of the tree to remove the commit from the current branch, which is the original hash remains in the repo, and then add and commit it piecemeal. Before we get started on doing the change, there's two steps to do. First, run git status to ensure the tree is clean. If the tree is unclean, then you can lose changes in the following steps or have them accidentally merged in. You don't want that, so yeah, be aware of that. Next is run git show to show the commit you are working on. This is especially important when using these steps when doing a git rebase-i with an edit step. Oh, with an edit step, okay. It also helps uh, to know what the whole change looks like. Yeah, so like the overall thing that you want to split up. Now, to undo the change from the repo, make sure the changes are what you think. Then redo the changes. Run git reset head, and then the, you know, what's it called? Caray character to undo the change. This will set the sudo tag auric underscore head to the value of head before this command. Okay. Run git diff and ensure that diff matches the diff part of the git show you did earlier. Run git add -ip to interactively select the subset of the change you want. There are instructions for how to edit the context diff at the end of the diff, so I won't go over them here. Then there is run git commit -c auric underscore head to commit the change. This commits the change and copies the commit message from the sudo tag auric underscore head. More often than not, when you are splitting changes, you will want a subset of the original message or to edit it somehow. And last, run git diff to see what's left to commit. Repeat the last two steps until there's no more changes left. Git commit does not move auric underscore head, so you will start with the right commit message each time. If you are really operating on the last change in your patch series, you are now done. The patch is split up. If you are doing this inside a git rebase-i with an edit action for the step, do not forget to run git rebase-continue to complete the process. I usually just edit one at a time to keep things simple, and he often for, he mentions he also often forgets to do the git rebase-continue if he has too many things to edit. Okay. Yeah, these steps are good to know. And there's a, a finish or a final piece at the end, rearranging the commits. Sometimes you have two commits that should be two different commits or some similar rearrangement. Each of the new commits have parts of the original commits. What I like to do here is take the original two commits and break them down into the basic parts using the previous section. So I break the first commit down into the commit into two new commits. I repeat the process for the second commit. There are now four commits in my branch. I usually keep the original commit message intact and do not edit them at this stage. 
and then use git rebase-i to recombine them using the squash action. This gives me uh, new commits with copies of the original two commits message so that I can each edit those uh, one down appropriately. I find that doing this in multiple steps makes it easier to keep track of everything. This allows easier backing out halfway through if you realize you have done something in error. Doing only one of a few things at a time makes it easier to do that. Git revlog can also help if you make a mistake several steps ago. Excellent. Um, you have to deal with uh, Git a fair bit with the documents team, don't you? Uh, yeah, but in um, the docs team, we typically don't do rebases because we all have one you know, head revision and don't do like branches and stuff. So it's less of a hassle to work with. Mm, good to know. No rebasing and no no things like that. So even if you're not a Git uh, expert, you can easily work on. If you have a commit bit, of course, you get shown how to use these things. But in docs land, we typically have one uh, head of the tree and don't branch off into several uh, other weeds. <laughs> cool. Well, you heard it here first, everyone. Join the docs team. It's not as, not yeah, as, if you want to get not started. as convoluted. And from there... It's just easy if you want to do more, if you want to also the commit bit in the, for example, ports or a source tree, then it's just a small delta that you have to learn to have that in the source tree, like Warner did here. Cool. Uh, moving on to uh, Mikhail Safka's website. Uh, Mikhail's uh, from Poland, and uh, it looks like this is his blog. Uh, I've got um, his name pronounced correctly. Uh, so live from OpenBSD in Amsterdam, uh, this site in, is in its infancy, run, was running Debian on Linode. Then I moved to FreeBSD on Vulture. Today marks a day of another migration. Hello from OpenBSD running on OpenBSD Amsterdam. OpenBSD is one of the three most popular BSD distributions. While NetBSD focuses on running on obscure hardware and FreeBSD has ZFS as its killer feature, OpenBSD is all about security. I was very happy with FreeBSD, but at the time, I was never fully confident in my ability to configure it securely. Not that my server hosts anything of any real value, but I still wouldn't like a machine I administer to become a cog in some botnet between learning forensics and a new OS. The latter seems nicer. OpenBSD's official project goal states that even though they aim to provide the most secure operating system, each developer has their own goals and can freely pursue them as long as the project adheres to those goals. It's very different approach to what we see anywhere else. There is no 10-year roadmap and consistent consultations. Instead, we have a hacker-orientated culture. This resulted in multiple projects having their inception in OpenBSD like OpenSSH or LibreSSL. OpenBSD ships with a secure by default mindset. All non-essential services are disabled and those running are using sensible configurations. For example, I had huge problems configuring a firewall on FreeBSD, especially for IPv6. On OpenBSD, it was much simpler. I'd actually like to hear Mikhail's uh, issues they have with IPv6 because uh, I have it running uh, across the enterprise with uh, FreeBSD and PF. So um, I haven't really had a problem myself there. So. Mikhail, if you are listening to the podcast, uh, write in uh, with some feedback at bsdnow.tv and uh, please let us know what those issues were. OpenBSD being a BSD provides a complete system. System and user space are developed together. No GNU tools are needed as everything comes together. At the same time, BSDs come with a lot of surprising things out of the box. Free BSD wowed me with jails. 
it still wows me with jails. I just love the cup heart mentalization. Somebody wants something new, they want a Git repo, bang, it's in a jail. All in all, a lot of things that I've learned on FreeBSD are essentially transplantable to OpenBSD. They say that all BSDs are separate OSs, a stark difference from the distributions of GNU Linux. I fail to see it as so much works the same. Package manager of FreeBSD may be more modern and the separation between the system space and the user space is not so evident here, but so many things work the same. I cannot pretend to be a pro BSDer, but I fail to see evidence of them diverging so narrowly to call them completely different operating systems. But then again, maybe it's just my poor judgment and love of POSIX. And still, no system D in sight. I don't have enough willpower to learn forensics or Rust, not even to mention an OS-level complex PID1 process. Uh, he goes into his uh, experience with OpenBSD Amsterdam and uh, furthermore as uh, how he's actually configured uh, HTTPD, RelayD and Acme uh, client on OpenBSD to uh, run this blog that uh, we're reading from today. So, um, yep, go check the show notes out uh, for the detailed configuration. It goes into quite an in-depth um, uh, configuration, especially around RelayD. Uh, so, yeah, go check that out. Yep, good to know. And having some configuration to compare your own to is always good uh, in a how-to style or similar. So this next item is more of a, a sad note. We have uh, Hans-Peter Selaski's memoriam statement. So a lot of people have heard about this already, but um, just for everyone else who might have missed it, uh, Hans-Peter Selaski, one of the uh, more, more proficient uh, FreeBSD committers, has recently died in a, a tragic accident. And this is the... Um, kind of a memoriam statement uh, that Drew Gallatin wrote uh, on behalf of the FreeBSD core team because the uh, project was very saddened by the news and we thought we would give Hans-Peter uh, some kind of uh, memorial in this uh, writing here. It goes like this. The FreeBSD community was saddened this month by the tragic death of one of its most prolific contributors. We learned that Hans-Peter passed away in a tragic accident in Lillesand, Norway on June 23rd, 2023 at the age of 41. Hans was an incredibly brilliant and kind person and made many valuable contributions to FreeBSD. He was preceded in death by his father Gordon and is survived by his mother Inger Elizabeth, his brothers Mark and Life Conrad, and his nieces and nephews Petra, David and Signe. Hopefully I get those right. Uh, Hans began contributing to FreeBSD roughly 25 years ago with fixes to FreeBSD's ISDN support. He was a FreeBSD committer for nearly 15 years and was best known for rewriting and maintaining the USB stack. Hans wrote the WebCamD package, which supports running Linux WebCam drivers in user space on FreeBSD, and which enables those of us using FreeBSD on the desktop to participate in modern teleconferencing. Most recently, he worked for Mellanox, which is now NVIDIA, to support the Connect X series of high-speed network interface cards on FreeBSD. Hans's work included major contributions to the kernel TLS framework, as well as support for Nick KTLS, send and receive offload in the MCE driver, and many improvements to the Linux device driver compatibility layer. So Drew Gallatin writes a more personal uh, part here that he met uh, Hans first in 2015 in the context of his work on the MCE driver for Mellanox uh, network cards. Uh, they worked together to make the MCE driver one of the highest performance NIC drivers in FreeBSD. It was during this time that he learned how brilliant Hans was. 
They often had ideas that sounded crazy at first, but which were actually brilliant. One example of this was his idea to sort the incoming TCP packets using the NIC-provided RSS flow identifiers in order to present LRO with all packets from the same TCP connection back to back. This idea, which they initially discounted as impractical, was crucial to Netflix being able to meet their performance target of serving 100 gigabits per second of video traffic from a single machine and continues to save Netflix a large amount of CPU resources. Hans was a very kind and welcoming person. The first time uh, Drew attended uh, EuroBSDCon was in 2019 in Lillehammer, Norway, where Hans insisted on playing host to him. Hans had driven across Norway from his home in Grimstad to EuroBSDCon in Lillehammer with his father and took him around to see the Olympic ski jump, along with several other sites in town. He then took them out to dinner and back to the house they rented with his father for an evening of great conversation. Outside FreeBSD, Hans' hobbies included music and mathematics. He was active in his church and contributed to its sound team. He was a loving and dedicated uncle to his nieces and nephews. He loved animals, especially his cat Pumba. Even if you don't use FreeBSD yourself, odds are good that Hans' work touches on your daily lives. For example, if you use a PlayStation, chances are that you're using Hans' USB stick. If you watch Netflix, uh, the odds are also good that the show you're watching was delivered to you by a ConnectX Nick running Hans's MCE driver. Hans, if you're reading this, know that you will be missed. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups. And Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud so that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated so that bandwidth can be saved. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks, encrypts them with your local private key that never leaves your system, and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone is able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. TarSnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use TarSnap. TarSnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. TarSnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure that it does what we say it does. TarSnap also does bug bounties if you find errors in the code. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. Moving on to the feedback and question section. Uh, first feedback is from Abo. Um, it, uh, Abo's uh, lang lang language is not English uh, by first. Uh, so it's just this is our interpretation for it um, that uh, they use OpenBSD for their business and they uh, wish to thank the projects for that. So thank you, Abo, for that feedback to the teams. Mm hmm. Or if people want to use FreeBSD or any BSD there is uh, for their company, the BSD license is actually very company friendly and um, doesn't have uh, the company like uh, publish their own secret source. So the BSD license allows that. And that makes it very compatible with this kind of uh, endeavor. Yeah, and that, you know, that's why you see a lot of the, the major players like the Sonys, the NetApps, 
Netflix, uh, they they contribute a lot back to the BSDs, um, but they also you know gain by pushing those changes up the tree because it means it's a set of the stack that they don't need to maintain, but it also allows them to make their secret source that makes them unique in the business space. So um, while they give back, they can also uh, feel free to keep what they want to keep uh, and not have any uh, cloud or judgment issues with that licensing. Yep, that's uh, very interesting as a license itself. And uh, a lot of companies, as mentioned, benefit from that. And many other companies should definitely look into that way of uh, giving back to the project and also using the project's resources or the products they develop in their own systems. Okay, moving on to the next is Dane is next and uh, writes about use another operating system. That goes like the following. Uh, hey guys, as far as I can tell, you're all FreeBSD users. Well, well, not at all. Not exclusively, I have to say. Have you considered using NetBSD or OpenBSD on your personal machines? Not what pays the bills. Uh, for a period of time to get first-hand experience of opinions in the other projects. It might yield an anecdote or two per episode. Um, I do use OpenBSD uh, on uh, my fault-finding laptop uh, at work that runs uh, OpenBSD current and uh, XFCE as the desktop. So, um, yeah, we, we're not all, um, you know, designated FreeBSD users. And I do uh, stick my head over the fence to see what Dragonfly is doing because they do a lot of uh, performance work. And the Hammer 2 file system is also a, a, a large interest um, of myself. I, I like seeing where file systems are going. And ZFS is like the gold standard, but there's other things out there. And, uh, you, know, you know, hopefully seeing... OpenBSD um, merging Hammer 2 into it would uh, give OpenBSD a, a more palatable future-ready file system uh, over and above the uh, fast file system that's currently being used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me, I, I typically have one work laptop they gave me to use officially, but I don't use it very much because I have my own machine where I'm much more productive. Uh, but that machine is a good rig to test various systems on it various configurations for example i switched to wayland uh, the other day on it and tried it out so this is one of the machines that i'm more happily to uh, reinstall and try out things on because it's not a production machine but could eventually be and that gives me an opportunity to test out things and then migrate those to my official uh, machine where i'm more uh, on it every day so who knows right this could be a, a whole uh, good test to try out other operating systems unfortunately i'm more in a you know we use uh, linux uh, university here um but that doesn't mean that i can't run my own uh, systems on my own and with my own uh, systems or operating systems i chose and there's also servers and separate systems like embedded machines that could also be a good rig for other operating systems like NetBSD or OpenBSD, especially OpenBSD with its security footprint. Uh, that's always a good thing to have. Do you get a chance to look at NetBSD at all, Benedict? Um, not much. Maybe I will when I'm getting more into my uh, embedded uh, things with the Raspberry Pis and stuff because I hear they have better support for the Wi-Fi drivers that those things have. Um, but I definitely uh, need to check. I hear also they have... Uh, OpenZFS, but not in the most recent version, but at least they have it. 
And so that could be a, another thing where I find something familiar on this platform. Yeah, they've also got um, their own uh, couple of uh, hypervisors as well, uh, apart from Zen. Oh, yes. Um, they've, got, they've got a couple of other hypervisors that are uh, in their main tree. So, you know, that's also something that could be good to go and check out so i i I suppose that's somewhere i should go and uh, visit uh, when i get a spare few moments Hmm. yeah so why don't you uh why don't our listeners give us a bit of feedback what they are using for what kind of uh use cases or projects they're running so those could be a good way to uh report this to feedback at bsdnow.tv and then we'll have some bit more better idea what you're using and what kind of things you're dealing with okay uh that pretty much wraps up this episode i hope you found something interesting in there and it wasn't too uh too long or too boring for you let us know how this was for you and if you found something on the web that is bsd related in one way or the other then send it to us and we have a good chance of covering it in the future thanks very much see you later